This is Up, the podcast from Union Resources, bringing you friendly chats with theologians about things that matter. We want to serve the church by making resources as freely available as possible. So head over to uniontheology.org for more. Hello, here we are on the 51st edition of this podcast. I'm Dan Hames and today I'm speaking with our very own Michael Reeves. Mike has a book out, co-authored with Tim Chester, Why the Reformation Still Matters. Mike, why don't you begin by telling us, why did you write this book? Well, it was really because um, we saw that in 2017, which is going to be the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, there's going to be a a lot of media attention um, about the Reformation. And as much as we can predict it, we reckoned it's going to be quite negative media attention. That is that people will be talking about the Reformation, but saying, what a shame, Christians divided, why can't they agree? In fact, they probably do agree. And anyone who says that um, Protestant and Catholic positions are radically, essentially different is being awkward. And so what we wanted to do was go through some key Reformation beliefs and show it isn't being awkward to hold to this. Um, these are joy-giving, glorious truths that re- really make a profound difference to everyday Christian lives and not something to be given up lightly. Um, they really still matter. Okay, so give us a few examples of some of the doctrinal differences between the Roman Catholic Church and Protestants? Well, we we look at quite a few. We've got um, 10 or more or so um, different beliefs that we look at. But I think what may stand out is we look at, for example, justification, sin, grace, union with Christ, the Spirit. And if you just leave those words at that, you could say, well, Protestants and Catholics both believe in grace, they both believe in faith, in sin, in the spirit, in union with Christ, they agree on all these things. And and for that reason, it really does start sounding like, well, if you've got differences, they're very nitpicky little differences. Um, And so therefore, the Reformation doesn't really still matter. And so what we've tried to do is look at those beliefs and show that when a consistent Protestant and a consistent Catholic says the word grace, for instance, we actually mean radically different things. So the Catholic will say, Pope Francis would say he believes in salvation by grace. And so would I. But when I say that, I mean something completely different to what Pope Francis means. So within Roman Catholicism, grace operates um, like this thing that God gives. So uh, let me put it like this. The the problem that we have um, in the Roman Catholic mindset is that none of us can quite be bothered to do the whole holy thing that pleases God. So we know we ought to be holy, and it's holy people who get into heaven. But as much as the priest will tell us, come on, be holy, we're just thinking, yeah, you know, I just can't really be bothered. And then the priest, through the sacraments particularly, gives this thing called grace. 
And grace here is basically like a can of spiritual Red Bull, that where you just couldn't be bothered to do the holy thing, you tank back a can of grace and you think, ah, oh, actually, now I'm kind of in the mood to be holy. Uh, and it wears off after a while, like Red Bull does. And so you need to go back and get more grace. And so the picture is that you God gives this thing called grace to you, which works as the kind of the fuel to drive your holiness. And it's your holiness that then saves you. So that's what a Catholic will mean by salvation by grace. It's not salvation by works, a Catholic will say. It, it is salvation by grace. God has given you this, this spiritual Red Bull, and only because of that have you become holy, and therefore can you merit heaven. But when a Protestant talks about salvation by grace, or better, salvation by grace alone, what the Protestant means is not that God's given some thing to enable us to become worthy of heaven. It is that God, out of pure kindness, has not given us something, but in pure kindness gives us himself and his life for free. And so it's not that he helps sinners become more holy and therefore saves them. God declares sinners to be righteous in his sight, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and therefore in Christ worthy of heaven. And there, sneakily, I said I'd be speaking about grace. I actually brought in union with Christ, sin, justification, and all the rest, just because I thought I could. <laughs> but it feels like we're really getting to the heart of salvation. This isn't just about some differences that Christians may have between them. This is really getting to the heart of things isn't it absolutely it is and and i think this is um why personally this has always been an important issue because i um i had a crisis of faith when i was um in my very early 20s and was unsure about how to be saved and it was the reformation debate that gave it clarity to my mind because if you don't see two different options on how to be saved, you don't see why they might be so very distinct from each other. But when you look at the Protestant and Roman Catholic views on justification, you see they are very, very different things. So justification for the Roman Catholic is a process of becoming more just or more righteous. So the key uh, Bible verse here would be Romans 5.5. 5. God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given us. So God pours his love into our hearts and that transforms us internally to become more and more just, more and more righteous, more and more worthy of heaven. That's the Roman Catholic view. It's a, a transformative process. But the Protestant view is that justification is a divine declaration that God speaks his word and declares that a sinner is righteous because he's given them, by his declaration, the very righteousness of Christ 
to cover over their sin and to clothe them in his positive righteousness. And so instead of it being a, a transformative process for the Protestant, justification is a divine declaration and therefore can be all of grace and not at all the consequence of our works. So it, it's a very, very different um, understanding of how salvation works. And it leads to very different um, understandings, for example, of assurance. So uh, within Roman Catholicism, you really can't have an assurance of salvation as a Christian. In fact, that's presumptive to think that you can know you're going to heaven. This, this actually came up at Joan of Arc's trial. Um, one of the things she was condemned for was that she seemed to be confident that she would go to heaven. And yet you look at the, the reformers a couple of hundred years later, and they're all urging believers in their churches to have assurance. Um, quoting John, for example, I write these things to you so that you may know you have eternal life. But you can only have that kind of assurance if salvation is not about a process of you becoming more holy. But salvation is about God declaring those who are not worthy to have the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, if that's how salvation works, I can know that I'm sinful and yet say, because of God's grace, I know I am saved eternally. Mm. That's two really clear contrasting theologies there, isn't it? And I guess we'd be able to see that if we were, say, to compare the theology of Martin Luther and some of the other theologians of his time. Isn't it true, though, that today the Roman Catholic Church and Protestants are a, a bit closer together? Um, we have Pope Francis, who people are calling the Evangelical Pope, and they've just named a square after Martin Luther in Rome. Is it the case that we are sort of converging a bit? Is that not what's happening at the moment? Well, uh, certainly there's there's a mood which Pope Francis is actively encouraging to say that um, Protestants and Catholics um, have come to a basic agreement on these fundamental issues. Um, back in 1999, um, there was a joint declaration signed between Lutherans and Catholics saying that on the issue of justification, we've come to an agreement. The thing is, when you actually look at the details of that joint declaration, uh, it's, as I see it, using words to paper over some pretty big theological cracks. So for example, saying we are justified by grace through faith. And we all agree on that. And yes, every Protestant and Catholic has always agreed on that. There's never been a disagreement there. Um, but how justification by faith is defined when you start pushing into it, it can sound nitpicky, um, but a few words make an awful lot of difference. So in that joint declaration, justification is said to occur through a faith that is active in love. The question is, what do you mean by that? So Protestants and Catholics will both agree that true faith will, um, because you trust God, it will produce a loving, transformed life. Everyone agrees on that. Here's the question though. 
are the works of love that come from faith, are they a cause of justification or a consequence of it? E.g., am I justified by faith alone or by my faith and my works together? And that joint declaration has not been clear on that. And in fact, I'd want to suggest it's deliberately not being clear to say we, we've got a level at which we can agree. We can say we're both we all agree we're justified by faith. But actually, that's no great reconciliation. Everyone always agreed on that during the Reformation. It's that key thing of do works, do the works of a believer have any role to play in my justification? Or are my works the consequence of the fact that God has shown me grace and justified me? And, and the difference you can see in that, um, if people can think this is still, this is just a theologian nitpicking, you, you can see the difference in the Catholic catechism. So this is the official um, statement of the church's beliefs today. The Catholic catechism still has belief in purgatory. Now, why would you have belief in purgatory unless you believe that salvation is a process of being transformed? Because purgatory is all about, purgatory is for the faithful who've not died holy enough to reach heaven. And so they're given basically more time to become more and more perfect, more and more righteous. And so Roman Catholicism, because it believes that salvation is a transformative process, it, it must have belief in purgatory and therefore it retains belief in purgatory. But for myself as a Protestant, I have no place for purgatory because God declares me to be righteous in Christ. What's the point of purgatory for me? I can gladly say because of the righteousness of Christ, I, when I die, will go to be with Christ, which is far better. And so as soon as you start seeing that, what happens to you when you die? Even if you don't quite pick up on the, the differences on the justification debate, you see that's a real difference. Have I got millions of years in purgatory to face? Or when I die, will I go straight to be with Christ? Mm, that's this a huge question, isn't it? It would have been a very sharp question, I suppose, at the time of the Reformation, thinking of Luther in the field, uh, struck by lightning and fearing for his life. And I guess although we sometimes feel quite shielded against death, we, we are confronted by it when we lose somebody close to us or when we have a brush with death for ourselves. Um, it's so vital that we have assurance in the face of death, isn't it? Absolutely right. I think when, when you see it, um, when you come up against death, the issue of what's going to happen to you becomes very real. Um, so I, I think it might be easier for us today to think this is all a bit more of a game. But when death is more of a certainty, what's going to happen to you when you die is something you need to be clear on. And in that sense, yes, the Reformation still very much matters because you've got two quite different answers that the Catholic priest and the Protestant pastor are going to give to you on your deathbed. You've already uh, mentioned the temptation we might have to say, you know, let's not be picky about these things. Uh, we want to have unity in the church and so on. Having out outlined how serious these differences are, 
Do you think, Mike, there are ways we Protestants think like Roman Catholics? Is there, do you think, a bit of slippage sometimes in our theology towards Roman Catholic positions? I think there are lots of ways in which that happens. Um, let me pick the grace example again and, and draw out something related. I think that um, evangelical Christians can sometimes speak of grace in somewhat Roman Catholic ways. Uh, so, for example, when we talk about, when we define grace as being God's riches at Christ's expense, while there is much that's true there, it can sound like God's giving us this thing called grace. And, and what that does is it puts a distance between um, us and the Father who saves us. And that was a, a real problem um, before the Reformation that Luther felt, that there was a, a wrong distance. Um, we're not just talking about God's holiness here, which obviously puts a distance between the holy God and unholy sinners. But there was a wrong distance that the Reformation added to that in that it showed that Christ and his father are not merciful, not gracious, and therefore you only fear in their presence you only dread them and it's that particular understanding of fear there's a sheer terror and only a terror at the presence of God whereas what Luther began to see is that because the father gives us Christ himself yes we do have fear of a holy God but the father in his loving kindness gives us his son fills us with his spirit so that we might be drawn into the father's own presence there to refer to him as the son refers to him as our Abba and so that we can know an intimacy with God the father himself and that language of intimacy is something that really didn't make sense before the reformation in the way it did when Luther and the reformers and the Puritans later began to draw that out. So I think there's one instance being unclear on what grace is, thinking that grace is something, is a way in which we could slip. The many others, uh, I think, um, when we're not clear on scripture being our sole supreme authority, there's a difference between Protestants and Roman Catholics. When Protestants are not clear on that, they must be slipping towards what is a default Catholic position. Now, that shouldn't, have, of course, say that therefore it is wrong. It is wrong not to have Scripture as your sole supreme authority because Scripture is God's word. That's why it's wrong. Yeah. So what would you say to a, a Protestant, perhaps someone who's um, been getting into church history, they've been enjoying reading the church fathers and maybe medieval theologians and they're thinking wow you know i'm i'm in a church which feels like uh, an innovation since the reformation mm. um like almost like a church that's a spur off the historic church and it feels attractive perhaps to follow the stream back almost and get back to the source and isn't that the catholic church that seems like an, an attraction to, to lots of people what would you say to someone who's thinking like that yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's been one of the greatest attractions for Roman Catholicism within the last 150 years, particularly. Um, and you see of, of a reasonably steady trickle of evangelical converts to Rome. 
that again and again is brought up as as a key reason that you can find a sort of assurance from an evangelical rootlessness. You can find an assurance that here I stand in Rome um, as a Roman Catholic um, in continuity with the ages, with the, the fathers of the church and so on. But you see, when when the reformers themselves are accused of that, their answer is, no, no, we are the ones in true doctrinal continuity with the apostles and with the teaching of Christ himself. So the issue is not institutional continuity. What guarantees the faithfulness of the church um, is not that you have one man who lays hands on another man year after year after year after year. That can happen for 2000 years, but that doesn't ensure the faithfulness of the next man. What, what is important is the continuity of the truth and proclamation of the truth of the gospel. And so what you need to look at is, do we stand in theological continuity? Do we hold to the same truth as the apostles preached? And therefore, that's why we in the book wanted to look at um, an issue like justification or union with Christ and see what does Paul say about this? What does the New Testament say about this? What does Jesus say about this? Now, who seems to be in line with that official, um, the reformist positions or the official Roman Catholic position? And we are finding again that there's a real divergence and that if you're simply seeking to go with um, a clear reading of the text, it's the reformers who are reading their scriptures accurately. And that's the continuity that we should be seeking to find, a continuity of the truth, not the organisation. So do you think the, the Reformation understanding of even what the church is, is different to the, the Roman Catholic position? Yes, it is. Yes, it is different. Um, because in Roman Catholicism, um, the idea of the church is very much a, a, a visible institution, um, that the Pope is uh, the rock of the church, uh, the successor of Peter, and he uh, ordains, uh, consecrates bishops, who consecrate priests, who represent Christ to the people, um, so that you have very much an organisational unity to the whole church. There isn't really the idea that you can have an invisible church, which is much more the Protestant idea. So Protestants will say, look, you, you don't actually have to have one guy has met another, but you can have a church in Malaysia and a church in Minnesota, and they are both part of the same Church of Christ, even though no one, uh, th there's no um, historical connection between the two. There's no institutional connection. One is Presbyterian and one's Baptist. Um, but they both hold to the same gospel. Here are believers who are filled with the same spirit. And that's the issue. It's a spiritual unity, not an organisational unity. OK, here's a more pastoral question. Um, perhaps there is a Roman Catholic listening and perhaps sensing, um, yep, there's a, there's a difference between what I understand and what Mike is outlining here. 
What would be your message to somebody in that position? What what are the key things you would urge a, a Roman Catholic listener to to think through and consider? I think there are a couple of differences at the heart um, of this. One is how you know what's true. And the question is, can you turn to scripture as the sole supreme guiding authority in knowing what is true? Or does the church have authority so that you have to say, I can't know as a humble lay person what God's word says, I need my priest or the Pope to tell me what it says. So there's a real difference. Uh, Where do you go to know what's true? Do you ultimately go to the church or do you go to the Bible? And so I would want to recommend anyone who's in that position to open their Bible and read it. Read Romans, read Galatians and see if it fits with your understanding of what Christianity is. And there you'll find the other uh, key point of the Reformation, justification. On what basis do you think you are saved? Is it on the basis of your performance or on the basis of Christ's pure kindness? And there I think the the differences between Protestantism and Catholicism are put into sharp relief. And that's really why um, the Reformation still matters and why I think any seeking Catholic in that position would do well to look into these issues more. Because what the Reformation brought out was that God is gracious beautifully kind and enjoyable in a way that had not been clear in medieval Roman Catholicism. So the reformers are fighting for the fact that God is utterly gracious. He's kind. He declares those who are failures to be righteous in his sight because of his son. Here's a God who's enjoyable, who's wonderful. And therefore, by stepping into Reformation discoveries, you're really stepping into enjoyment of a glorious God. You have nothing to lose. Okay, we need to wrap up, but here's a final question. When October the 31st swings around and it's Reformation Day, we'll all be celebrating, of course, celebrating these glorious gospel truths that you've been speaking about, the kindness of God, an entirely gracious salvation, it's a day to enjoy these things. So what should we be doing to party? What will you be doing on the evening of October the 31st? <laughs> um, I, I do actually usually celebrate it with family and friends and um, sausages usually come up. It sort of feels like um, actually sausages started the Reformation in Zurich. That's another story. Um, but they're obviously what Luther would be eating. But really, it's a, it, it doesn't matter quite so much what. It's an entering into an enjoyment of... Um, of a God who's kind, and, and therefore an enjoyment of his creation too. That here's a God who freely saves and freely gives us a creation. And this is one of the um, the wonderful discoveries of the Reformation, that it wasn't anymore that you had this divide between um, the sacred, the priests, and that's good. If you want to be good, go to a monastery. 
um, and the secular, you know, just just being a farmer or an accountant. But with, with the Reformation, all of life more clearly came to be seen as um, to be lived for the glory of God. And you can eat a sausage and you can do your work. And in all of your life, you can enjoy, trust in and glorify God. And that's something that Christians really need to enter into. That's not just talking about having a party, but with all of our life, enjoying God as our kind father, enjoying him as the giver of all good things, and so praising him in all things that we encounter. Mike, thank you so much. Mike's new book, Why the Reformation Still Matters, with Tim Chester. Mike, would you remind us, when is the book out in the UK and the US? Uh, the book um, has just come out in the UK and is available Amazon. Ten of those, it's cheapest out at the moment. And it's out from Crossway in North America in September. Same title. Well, there's a book to look out for. Mike, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Dan, thanks so much for the opportunity to talk about these things. I love talking about the assurance of salvation we can have, these truths which glorify God and bring joy to people. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.